I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Today on Exploring the Prophetic, we have Bill Vanderbush, who actually is pastoring at Celebration Church, which is a Presbyterian community church, which is the only church Disney family actually paid for and initiated. And it's an incredible story of why he's there with the other staff members that are there and what God's doing there, as well as he wrote a book with the world famous Ted Decker, who is one of the best novelists out there right now, New York Times bestseller, 30 million books sold. And they ended up writing a devotional together called The Forgotten Way. You're, you're going to want to hear the story behind why these things happened and more, which is going to be amazing for you to hear from Bill Vanderbush and about his life and about his journey. I'm going to encourage you to keep your ears wide open as we say to my daughter and who's in preschool. Let's have our listening ears on, which I'm learning how to do because I want to grow. I want to grow like I've never grown before. At the same time, right before we get there, we have an offer for you. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Audience, I have a new book out called Modern Prophets, and I wrote this book specifically to give a theology, but also practical application for how to apply the gift, the ministry, and the office of the prophet into your life. So this is people who have the gift of prophecy, which is all believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, go after love like your life depends on it and eagerly pursue prophecy, and prophecy proves love. Then there's the prophetic ministry, people who carry this into their church, into their sphere of influence, into their business, their workplace, and they just consistently are carrying the times and seasons, what God's doing in those places with people or with industries. Then there's prophets, and how do we apply a modern-day prophet to today? And I'm giving you not only the theology of why it's a big deal to understand the prophetic and how you can engage this incredible gift set in your life, but also I'm giving you a lot of starter models and a practical application for how to do this. One of the things I love right now is that God wants to bring dignity back to the prophetic. There's billions of dollars going to the psychic medium industry because prophets have not risen up. People have not risen up with the true prophetic gifts to hear God's voice. God has an original intention over all things he created, and we get to see his intention. We get to call it forth on the earth right now. So this book's going to help you do that. It's available in bookstores all around the world right now. It's in several languages. Modern Prophets. Get yours at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon.com or bullsministries.com now. Welcome to Exploring the Prophetic today. We have on Bill Vanderbush. Hi, Bill. Hey, Sean. Good to talk to you. I'm so glad you're on. This is so good to have you. I was with you in Orlando just a few months ago, and we did a live recording, and it didn't work. I was so sad. Yeah, that was such a great day, too. My goodness, what an incredible, incredible just energy and spirit of the Lord in the room. It was a powerful moment. Well, we had the one of our 1,100 people in the room who totally benefited from your interview, and now we'll have our Exploited Prophetic audience who are going to hear you. Because you and your family, Tracy and your kids, you guys are just so hungry for God. You've been on this journey for a long time of just activating people, helping people connect to God inside of them, and the supernatural, which is really fun. Yeah, that's really our DNA. It's our It's our heart. You know, we have this this uh, burning conviction that really the only the only weapon that we have is obedience to the voice of the Lord. Wow! And so that's that's kind of how we live our lives. So um, you know we never we we never hold things too tightly, and yet we plant deep roots. It seems everywhere we go. Yeah. And uh, and God's really blessed it with some great relationships, and yet you know we're still led in a in a prophetic sense. 
um, by the voice of the Lord on a daily basis. And and it always seems, you know, it, I remember hearing, I think it was Graham Cook say years ago, you know, because we change from glory to glory, that means it changes glorious. So, you know, embrace it whether you like it or not. And so, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, it doesn't make it easy, but it's a, it definitely uh, definitely is the way we do life. I know when we first met, um, actually it was the second time we were together, my wife was with us and uh, mm -hmm. with you and Tracy. And we had a lot of things in common. One of the things, what you guys just started working with Ted Decker at that time, I believe it was right around that time. And you guys end up um, co-authoring a best-selling devotional with him called The Forgotten Way, which is pretty amazing to have Ted come from the stream of books and writing and New York Times bestsellers and all those things, and then going into the devotional world with you on The Forgotten Way. Like, how did that happen? It was a wild season. Actually, Ted and I connected through a prophetic word that came through our kids. Um, my son had had a, had a dream. Uh, he had connected with Ted's daughter, and they become friends. And so he had a dream about their family. And, and so when he told her, she told her dad, and, and it revealed things really that were on his heart, dreams wow. were on his heart that he had never told anybody. And so wow. next thing, Ted wants to know, hey, how, how, who are these people, and how do I get in touch with them? So I get a phone call one day, and Ted and I connect. And, uh, and so we, he only lived a few minutes away from me in Austin. But, you know, Ted, uh, being the writer that he is, and if you're familiar with any of his books, he's a, he's an odd kind of a character, and so he's a bit of a recluse, doesn't get out a whole lot. And so <laughs> That's uh, what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, it, I, I call it his dungeon. I'd say, oh, here's Ted in his dungeon again. That's amazing. So I go to his house, and, and we spend, you know, six hours, four or five, six hours together, which a uh, conversation with Ted is never a short conversation. Wow. So it's very, it's very deep and very long and very, you know, um, in-depth. and. And, uh, and God was doing something in his life and my life really at the same time. And we began to document what the Lord was doing. Uh, matter of fact, sitting in his, in his office one day, we both really had an encounter with the Lord, just kind of had this, this open vision in a sense where uh, God was really directing both of us to, to chronicle and to document because it was going to be important for our children someday, wow. what he was speaking and saying to both of us. And he was giving us language really that the other person needed. And, um, and so that resulted in us coming up with basically what, what became a 21-day devotional journey called The Forgotten Way. And it centered around five, we call them declarations. And, yeah. uh, and, and everything we, we did with this book, by the way, we called it The Forgotten Way of Yeshua, or The Forgotten Way, The Path of Yeshua to Power and Peace in This Life. And so we use words like that for the purpose of reaching out to to people who perhaps had a Christian upbringing, but had somewhere steered off into a new age bent. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they wanted to get at the mystical side of things, but had been rejected by by Christian orthodoxy. And so, so we wrote this with uh, with these five declarations in mind, and they, they're still really, really a catalytic thing to my own heart and life uh, to this day. And, and they are basically in a nutshell, uh, number one, that God is absolutely good and infinitely complete filled mm -hmm. with love, joy, and peace. Love is his overall pervasive nature. That's the second is you're made in his image and likeness. That's my second And favorite. the revelation of that <laughs> gives you a revelation of you, right? So, and, uh, and then the third is you really have one journey in this life, and that is to see what he sees about you, to see who so you really good. are. And it's the idea that God told Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you. So then the question is, what did God know? Because what he knew is who you are. So and good. that leads to the fourth, which is to see who you really are and to to step into the truth of that identity will require a very difficult task, and that is letting go of everything that you're not. So 
from that vantage point, wow. we can see things like, for example, the Ten Commandments from a New Covenant lens. They're not commandments of, of behavior modification. They're declarations of identity. So you're not a thief. Wow. You're not a murderer. You're not an adulterer. Adultery, not an idolater. You're, you know, so it's telling you who you're not, so That's you can amazing. see who you are. That kind of thing. And so, once you let go of all the lies and labels, then you come to the fifth declaration, and that is this: the authentic evidence of the true you is love. And of course, we take that out of First John. So everything's strongly supported by Scripture, and it basically takes people on a journey of identity. And um, it's been been really really uh, powerful and, and life-changing for a lot of people. So it was really an honor to write that with Ted. He remains a dear friend, one of my best friends to this day, and was actually just down here in Florida visiting us a few days ago. So Oh, it's so fun. Well, and I think of like, he's such a mainstream author, but he's done some faith-based books. But most of his books are just books. They're just mainstream books. And they're like really gritty, like they're really intense. Yeah. And so yeah. for him to cross over and write something like this, uh, you know, that hits, uh, uses his same platform with you, to hit like a place of identity, I think that's so brave. That's just it, so it, great. It was it was a strong it was a strong move for him, and uh, and that's why the Forgotten Way is not available on Amazon. Actually, it's only available at theforgottenway.com, and uh, and and the reason for that is because we wanted to we wanted to just kind of keep this to Ted's core audience. Yeah. Because we knew it would be basically his fans, which he has thirty million readers, right? So, Jeez. but we wanted to keep it to his core audience. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is because Ted wasn't 100% sure that he wanted to shift his entire brand to being a spiritual guru to anybody. Sure, sure. You know, he just, uh, and actually none of this was ever supposed to be published initially. It was something that we were just keeping for ourselves wow. and eventually to give to our kids. And it was actually our wives that convinced us to put it out. So, No, and I think that's important because there's a lot of people. We, we also do a lot in the entertainment industry. And I know that you have a heart for the entertainment industry. It's part of your passion. And it's neat to see people who are entertainers or people who are, you know, uh, thought leaders in that world who actually will do a passion project like this and release it somewhere like an, to an audience that, and that they weren't expecting what will happen. And a lot of times Christians put the pressure on, now change your career and this is who you are versus this is something you did that we really are grateful for. Thank you. And now go yeah. back to being you who God created yeah. you to be. You know, it's like, that's great. And I think it's so good because I feel like I've, I'm hearing projects of musicians who don't normally do faith-based projects, but they're going to do like a faith-based song. And it's like, if that's all they ever do for the church, so to speak, the church, I'm, I'm like, yes, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for that. And don't put pressure on people to be something or not or to conform to something or not, which is just, I love that you're in his life because I know you keep people on their identity track. Mm. Yeah, it's blurring the line between the sacred and the secular, which I think is so important. Totally, you know, that, uh, that people have a, a value for that. That um, that those, those momentary expressions where you come into a place with a sweet spot in the presence of the Lord, you know, that can touch a, a musical artist or an actor or whoever it happens to be, and just for a moment they they kind of give a glimpse into a completely different world. And uh, and I love that. I think there's some real strong value in that. I do too. Well, I'm going to take our listeners down a different journey now because one of the things that we found we had in common when we first met was our love for Disney. Your whole family loves Disney. <laughs> our whole family loves Disney. And we love it for real. For like A lot of people are Disney fans, but we feel a spiritual assignment, and so do you, over something around the Disney world. We don't know exactly what it is. But, you know, my first studio that I ever ministered at was Disney and to the Bible um, 
fellowship that was there. And then we ended up doing, you know, a spiritual emphasis day at Disney Studios. And we did one at uh, Disney, the, the, uh, on, at the amusement park. We've done some spiritual emphasis stuff behind the scenes, met with employees. And I remember sharing some of those things with you and you were sharing with us about how your family, like your son and daughter, end up working for Disney and you guys end up going to the town of celebration. You have to tell us the journey because it's so unusual and it's so cool. And I just want to say on my part of this, uh, I, I feel like a lot of times when we see things that have happened, like a lot of people don't realize because they've heard so publicly what Disney wasn't and what he couldn't do. And they've heard so publicly about his failures or some of the hardship, because once you're that public, you're somebody who's left a mark on a generation, not just in one genre, multiple genres, you're going to, it's easy to see what didn't happen. It's easy to see what, you know, but the beautiful thing is I remember Ken Wales telling me personally the story and he was the one who made, you know, amazing grace. And he made, um, um, chariots of fire and these movies that are so epic and Disney brought him out of high school to make those movies and shared a week with them. Uh, not to make those movies. I'm sorry to, to speak into Disney world or Disneyland mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to speak into the Disney process as a teenager, cause he didn't have that audience yet. And after a week of spending time with Ken, he really shared his faith with Ken. Ken was already a Christian, but he shared his faith with Ken and said, I'm doing this, you know, for all children. I originally wanted to do like a Bible themed park, but I realized that it would, it would isolate so many children who are on the earth today. And so we're doing a magic kingdom, just a reflection of where all children are empowered. And he had a private devotional book and a journal, and he showed Ken like scriptures that he'd been praying, things he'd been praying, and how sometimes the church was at odds with them. And just this whole thing where he was on a spiritual journey. And Ken yeah. started his spiritual journey because Walt Disney put him through college, through film school, and wow. ended up, uh, Ken has, still has, you know, those, now he's, unfortunately, we've, uh, Ken, Ken is in a hard place physically, but he has those journals of Disney, the spiritual journals, where they're his prayer journals. And he actually prayed to mm -hmm. our God, Jesus, and for direction. For He wrote down scriptures that meant something to him. He wrote down prophetic words. And no one really knows that side of the story because we've seen the humanistic thing and a lot of the things that Disney has not, um, that the church is upset with or that the church doesn't feel like are good values. But we haven't looked at the overall, the big picture of imparting identity to a generation of children and now multiple generations and these kinds of things. So I just set that as a foundation because I feel like you moving to this town of celebration and standing in the gap of what you're standing in is an act that's prophetic and intercession and so fun and so God. So take us on that journey. Well, yeah, we, we do. Uh, we pastor, um, I pastor here at Community Presbyterian Church in Celebration, Florida, which is uh, a community church, which means the vast majority of people I think that go here are not necessarily Presbyterian in their heritage. It was Presbyterian because that was sort of the 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 way it had to be. This was this was a concept, an idea that that Walt uh, Walt Disney came came up with, and um, but was never realized or seen in his lifetime. And the Disney Corporation actually built the church, or, or gave the land. Disney family gave the land to build the church, and uh, Walt's niece was uh, was here at the groundbreaking. Of course, shared a lot of a lot of insights with him. We have people in our church that knew Walt, that personally had a relationship with him. Uh, one of the oldest Disney employees at Walt Disney World who moved over from Disneyland, uh, who knew Walt, is, is in our church. So uh, got a lot of insight and, and heritage there. But I'll take you back to the journey of how we got here in the first place. Um, my, my wife and I, of course, pastored in Austin, Texas, where we met you many, many years ago. And uh, my kids, when they graduated from high school, decided they wanted to go to college in Orlando, which both my son, or, son and daughter have done. And during that time, they worked at Disney Disney World because they had just real value for for that, and uh, my my dad was uh, uh, an evangelist, missionary evangelist, who was 
kind of an apostle of joy, and he was happy long before being happy was cool in the body of Christ. And so when, you know, Disney is called the happiest place on earth, man, that's where he just wanted to be in the center of it. And he just loved being here and talking to people. So I grew up around here. It was very nostalgic for me. Uh, my kids then would, you know, come here you know, as, as small children. And then I remember when my son was six years old, leaving the park one night, he said, uh, Dad, I'm going to work here someday. And he never let go of that until it actually That's happened. So, um, so they, they, they come here and we're still in Austin and Tracy and I became those parents that missed our kids. And so we, we decided one night we're going to look, we're going to look in Florida for some, some property and celebration, just a place to rent. Thought, you know, I'd, I'd done this book with Ted Decker. It had done really well. I had a lot of opportunities to speak and could be, you know, out almost every weekend. Yet I'd been pastoring in Austin for so many years. We had just a ton of relational equity. And so it was a hard thing to leave. Yeah. Uh, so we really needed a prophetic word to give us some direction in this. And so one night we looked for property specifically in celebration, just looking through apartments, looking through houses for rent, just whatever we could find in celebration. That night I went to sleep and I had this dream where in the dream I'm on a roof of the house and I'm roofing it with a pastor who's a good friend of mine named Neil Rhodes. And I wake up from the dream at 4.44 in the morning. Now a lot of people ask what that means and and I've got a lot of theories, but I just kind of keep those personal to me because I honestly don't know. I don't have a definitive conclusion. All I know is when I saw 444, it just caught my attention that, wait a minute, pay attention to what you just came out of. And the vividness of this dream, I hadn't thought of Neil in many, many years, and I knew him when I was a child. And he and my dad were very, very close. And so I jump on Facebook there in the middle of the night, and I I look up Neil. I find him on Facebook. I send him a friend request, and I fall back asleep. And then the next morning... I wake up to a message from Neil. Here's my my phone number. Please give me a call. It'd be great to reconnect with you. He says, so So I call him up and I say, Neil, what are you doing these days? Well, he says, I've been working with David Wilkerson for many, many years. Of course, Pastor David passed away. He says, I'm semi-retired now. And uh, my wife and I relocated. He said, really no reason why, but we just felt led to come to this little town in, in Orlando, just outside of Orlando called Celebration. Well, of course, that was the town that I've been looking at property at the night before. And so suddenly I realized, oh my goodness, you know, you, God, you have my attention here. So Tracy and I jump on an airplane. Long story short, we find ourselves in celebration, reconnecting with Neil. And I said, you know, you know, what, what, what are we here to do? Are we here to start a church? What's God saying? And, and neither one of us felt the, the leading to do that. And so I found um, uh, at the Starbucks one day, a guy talking about the kingdom of God. Turns out it was the local Presbyterian pastor who had had this radical encounter with the Holy Spirit and had been praying for a ministry partner to come alongside of him. So he and I became close friends, and after a couple of months, he offered me a job, and I said no, because I didn't want to go work at a traditional church. I wanted to be on the cutting edge of what God was doing. So over the course of six months, he offers me a job three times, and I said no to all three times, because sometimes when you have a particular you know, lens that you're looking through, as in my lens was, I want to be on the cutting edge of what God is doing. So no, I'm not going to go work for a traditional denominational church. And I was not realizing what God was inviting me into was, <laughs> I'm sure. you know, my entire message was grace and redemption. And, you know, the idea is, you know, could, could God redeem a movement that seems to be long past its sell-by date, you know? And so uh, he finally, the pastor finally said to me, well, you'd at least preach for me on a Sunday. And I said, I sure will. So I get up to preach, and suddenly it's as if I'm stepping outside of myself while I'm in the middle of preaching, and I'm having this conversation with the Lord. And I felt God saying, I'm trying to answer a prayer that you've been praying for two years. And the prayer was, uh, God, teach me how to disciple a nation. And I kept getting this picture and dream of standing in front 
of a large crowd of people and their their influencers. Each one of them makes decisions that affect the life of tens and hundreds of thousands of people. Suddenly, in this church, I saw that. I saw it right before my wow. eyes, happening in all three services that morning. And so I came back to the pastor and I said uh, to Dr. Lewis, I said, yeah, you know, I think I think we're supposed to do this. Let's go with it. And I realized I'd been stubborn, but thankfully God hadn't changed his mind and moved on. And so, uh, so I came on board at this church. And only then did I realize that technically this is the world's only Disney church. And while they've sewed into other places, you know, that have been houses of worship, this is the church that Disney built in That's so the wild. town that Disney built literally on Disney property. And so, yeah, we took it, a picture. I remember Sri and I and have a <laughs> yeah. plaque. We were like, and I know a lot of other people, you guys, as a staff, see people run out and take a picture in front of the plaque of like the Disney family, you know? Yeah, the Disney church. It's, it's, um, the, you know, here's the thing about it is that you, you can't spend much time in Disney World. You know, if you go there as, as a vacation, it's one thing because you spend all your time standing in line trying to cram as much in as possible. But when you live here and you can just go to the park, and you don't have any pressure to be, be in a hurry, you just stop and look around and you begin to realize, you know, that you, you had to have an anointing on your life to create this. And, uh, and, and the, 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 um, the value for family, the value of exalting good over evil, not ignoring the evil in the world, but exalting the power of goodness and righteousness and purity and all, just all of that stuff is, is so evident uh, all over the place. And and when you begin to see that, you begin to realize if there's a grace and an anointing on Walt's life, I, I want to redeem that. I don't want to see that lost. So we've begun to tap into that. You know, things like, um, I mean, Walt himself uh, was not a regular church attender by any means. He was a congregationalist, if anything, and sent his daughters there, but he himself found he couldn't attend uh, because, of, because of the nature of his status. It's kind of hard for him to go into a church without getting mobbed. And yet his value for faith and his value, in a sense, for prayer, and his value for tapping into to, uh, whatever preserved the integrity of family was huge. And, uh, and so, re- really, I feel like we're, we're, um, we're grabbing a hold of everything that was good, that was deposited wow. into his life, and we're redeeming it, and then some. Come on. So, so much of what we talk about and preach about is the goodness of God, the love of God, the, the just the, the passion for the things of God, um, the bringing of heaven to earth, all of those things. And, and we're watching around this community, which is filled with Disney employees, cast members, they call them. Um, it's so idealistic, but that message of the kingdom of God resonates so strongly that it's really caught fire around here. So we're seeing healing, miracles, signs, wonders, the whole thing happening within this, you know, quote unquote, Presbyterian community. And in doing that, we're actually tapping into the Presbyterian's roots of revival. And so it's, um, it's, it's been a learning experience for me and a prophetic journey all the way. And, and we're just really pleased. That's so amazing. Now tell me this, like, um, because it, we didn't go into one of the stories, which I love the most, which is your wife's house story. Cause that was pretty <laughs> radical. You guys are there and she literally, yeah. I might be getting it wrong. I might murder the story. So I want you to tell, but she looks across the street and is like, I want to live right there. Yeah. Well, years ago, it's been about seven years ago, we were in, in Orlando and we came through celebration the very first time we'd ever driven through here. And we turned down this one street called Mulberry Avenue because it's just sort of this ideal 
uh, street and on one side is these three-story townhomes that look kind of like like the homes in Mary Poppins, you know, the old classic Mary Poppins with the with the iron fence in the front and the little walkway and then steps going up to the door and and uh and then on the other side of the street is this this um this large beautiful kind of neo-gothic church. And so I'm looking out the left side of the window, she's looking out the right side of the houses and she says uh, you know, I just want to live right there. And she points to this one particular <laughs> house. And I just facetiously, just joking, said, fine, we'll move in right there. And I'll just pasture this church right over here. And here we are seven years later. That's exactly where we live. And that's exactly what I do. So I always say, you know, pay attention to what you joke about, because God's God sometimes takes those things seriously. Yeah, and, <laughs> totally. I mean, I think, you know, we... And it was a real desire of her heart too, which is it's the cutest little neighborhood yeah. in the world. They made celebration it really be is. the little colonial every every America hometown America feel. It's almost like a movie set, <laughs> and to live there and to be pastoring there, and then having the world come to your church because That's people true. visit there from That's all true. over the world. Like the the output of impact you guys are having, and I love your staff. Like it was so I felt so at home with your staff when I, I just went to visit. I've never spoken there or done anything there. I just went to visit, but they're like, you know, to your team were like, We just took people through your e course and hearing God's voice. And yeah. you know, some other people are like, We just watched you here, and some other people are like, We're going, you know, it was so familiar. Yeah, like you guys have brought and the other staff there have brought such a tribe of just God's presence and goodness and love there that it's just so beautiful. And I love that it's there. I just I so love that you guys took on the assignment because it's a unique assignment, and I know that you guys love still to go to Disney World. You just, you know, even with what you're saying, that you, there's something about it that's not just nostalgic, but feels spiritually appointed. And it was interesting talking to, you know, one of the women who Tracy brought us out with, her and her husband, and I won't use her names just because I don't know if they want it, their names to be used, but he works in um, at Disney World. And so your wife brought us with uh, his wife, and I ended up having some great time talking, and so did Tree, to, to both your wife and to, to her. And she was just sharing about their spiritual assignment, like that they knew that they were assigned by God on the Disney lot, that it was a spiritual yeah. calling. And I think for our listeners, I think it's important for them to understand how outside the box God is, that God, anywhere he can get glory in every place that he can shine is his. It's like, you know, it's it's just his, like the whole world is his. And he is putting people in unique positions for unique results in our generation. And I, I everything that God had dreams over Disney, even before Disney dreamed it, God isn't allowed to return void, regardless of what Disney does wrong as a company or corporation. There's a purpose spiritually on the company still that God is going to harvest and use, which I think, yes. how awesome is that? Yes. You know, and you know, in years past, um, you know, just because I know, I know you're a fan as well, but you'll find this interesting in the years past, some of the, some of the emphasis at Disney has been a lot on the villains and the darker side of things. If you, if you go online, I encourage people to do it to watch the night show that they do in the Magic Kingdom every night. Uh, it's called Happily Ever After. It was created by somebody who really caught a perspective of identity. He's actually here, part of our community. And, um, and and there's very little emphasis on the villains at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the darker side of things, there's, there's a little bit of conflict in the show, so it pr provides some drama. But very little emphasis on the, on the villains side of things, on the magical side of things that's diminished. And uh, love and identity became the core of this show. And the entire thing is centered around, you know, um, uh, Mufasa saying to Simba, remember who you are, you are more than what you have become. And so uh, each night, you know, 65,000 people 
get a get a you know sixteen minute lesson in identity, uh, and and really wow. challenged to see beyond who they've become that, that that there's really more, and I think that's so much of the core of, of of what we teach you know in terms of revival culture and the kingdom of God and seeing just the coming move of the Lord, uh, in 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 our nation especially all over the world is just for people to to see beyond where their journey has taken them to recognize, wait, there is way more, and to get an appetite, to develop an appetite for that. Wow. And I feel like in some small way, in spectacular fashion, you know, um, we're getting a chance to see that imparted every single week. And so we've taken many, many people, many of his friends that you have and I have, uh, both uh, revival leaders, to, to the Magic Kingdom just to see that show. And, uh, you know, to a person, they're just jaw-dropped with just amazing sense of the prophetic nature of what was created there because it was, it was definitely created with purpose. No. And yeah. And that's the key. That's, I think you're just giving us such a key as far as how to see things and how to align your expectations with God's reality versus man's reality and how we live. You know, we live in a state where we're supposed to be focusing on who God is and what he's doing. It's whatever's right, pure noble. That's what you're supposed to fix your mind on. And you're doing such an excellent job of helping people, to live that out there in Florida, but you also travel around and share and teach. And I want to like actually bring us forward again onto another story because at one point, one of the places you went uh, to do ministry at is Maui, which is, yeah. you suffer a lot. You live in Orlando, <laughs> you know, at Disney World. You lived in Austin before that. And then you had to yeah. go to do ministry in Maui. I mean, it's a really hard life you live. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's the coolest kidding. places on earth. God has given us good assignments. I don't, I don't know if he just doesn't think I can handle something hard, but I, I'm, I, I have no complaints. No, I, I'm, I'm just giving you a really hard time. I love where you're called to. And, uh, but I think it, it, their common themes are their, their entertainment towns, you know, like, and I think you go to a lot of places that, you know, either are going deeper and digging into the supernatural or their entertainment type of towns that, you know, are doing both. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the stories that you told me earlier, I want to kind of highlight for our, our crew because I think it's so key and it goes back into another place of identity. But there was a man named Frank. Tell us what happened. Yeah. So many years ago, we, we had a school of supernatural ministry on Maui. It was actually the first, the first year that Bethel made their videos available. It, the school actually wasn't launched. They were sending us the videos as they were making them. <laughs> That's so amazing. I think we were the first, uh, the first satellite school. And we had over 200 students when we started and then it grew considerably even beyond that, um, people from all over the island, they just had a, an appetite for for what uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry was carrying at the time. We all did. We really, we just, we, we were wanting anything we could get our hands on at the time. And it seemed like that they were giving us permission to go out and pursue some things that were, um, uh, you know, previously just seen for, for just the super spiritual and the super gifted people. And, and now everybody gets to go out and do the stuff. And so, so we would send out teams all over the island. And one of the things that um, we, we would do is, you know, pray for the sick. But then the other thing we do is share the gospel. And there was this man named Frank down in Kihei. And he was a professor on a West Coast university that uh, is retired. And he was pretty much an avowed atheist, but, you know, came to the conclusion that he was an agnostic, but just a, just angry, an angry agnostic. And uh, mm. uh, he liked to talk, but he just sit there and, you know, watch the waves come in every single day. And, and, um, and, and so I, I found myself talking to Frank on a consistent basis down there. And, and so um, I realized, you know, he was giving me, he was giving me a lot of theological gymnastics, you know, hurdles to overcome. And so week after week, and we go down to Kihei, I'd see Frank and I'd sit down with him and I'd say, hey, you know, share some things with him. And he finally says to me, you understand, I'm never going to agree with you. And, you know, it was almost one of those people where you're thinking, I've got to intellectually figure out how to arm wrestle this guy into the kingdom. If I just think of just the right line, just the right word. 
And one day I had this, I, I'd, I had found a verse in the Bible in John chapter 20 and verse 23, uh, where Jesus says after, after he He's risen from the dead. He breathes on the disciples, which he only does twice in the Bible, in Genesis, mm -hmm. when he creates man, and then after the resurrection in this moment, he says, breathes on him. He receives the Holy Spirit, he says to the disciples. And then he says, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And I, I looked at that verse, and I'd always bypassed it because I thought to myself, well, come on, uh, that, that's, that's not right, because who but God can forgive sins? And that line is also in the Bible, but it's in Mark chapter 2, and it's said from the heart of pharisaical leaders that Jesus was about to rebuke. So I'm not sure that it's a, a good idea necessarily to align with that position, uh, even though it's a biblical uh, verse. <laughs> yeah. And so when I thought that, though, I, I, thought, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, and, and sometimes we just bypass the things that don't make any sense. So uh, on this particular day, uh, I'm sitting with Frank and he's going on and on about, you know, the universe and evolution and all these different things and why he doesn't believe and science has proven this and whatever. And if God wants to show up, he could just show up and say something. If he doesn't, he doesn't make himself known. He doesn't, you know, and all of these things have happened in my life that are painful and all this stuff. And if he's really true, I've got some things I want to say, you know, to, and just every argument that you can think of. And one day I would call it a holy frustration. I just suddenly found myself blurting out, this falls out of my mouth, I said, Frank, if Jesus Christ were sitting right here, his physical mouth would say to your physical ears, Frank, I love you, and I've forgiven you, and you're cleansed, and you're pure, and you're holy in my sight because of what I've done, not because of what you have done, because of what I have done, and I see you as redeemed, and, and just I'm just speaking all this stuff over Frank, and as I'm talking, I kind of look over, because now Frank is staring out of the ocean, and I see a tear just rolling down this guy's wow cheek. And so it caught me off guard and I stopped talking. And he says, this is what he responds with. He says, I don't know why. I don't understand how, but I've never felt what I'm feeling right now in my whole life. Wow. And I realized, <clears throat> I realized something really remarkable in that moment. And that is I was really trying to appeal to the intellect from a, an apologetic base but I had never tapped into the prophetic declaration of grace over a person where I actually believed that the grace that I released could actually matter. Or I could say it like this, that the grace that I released could actually reflect the compassion of the Father's heart to oh, a person so from a human's That's voice. so good. And, and so at that point, uh, I mean, Frank accepted Christ sitting right there, you know, and, and it, what, what prayer did Frank pray? I, you know, I just... By the time I got around to saying, you know, Frank, just say this with me, I, he was already in. It was a byproduct of a heart that had already opened itself up yeah. to a God who by nature is love and wasn't counting Frank's transgressions against him. And so I realized uh, leading people to a place of salvation is breaking off the lie uh, that they believed about themselves, about God, about who he is, about what he's like. And I mean, Frank just sat there and experienced love that day, and and, and that that experience, that encounter, all of the all of the arguments fell away. That's there was amazing. no arguments at that point. And uh, and from that day to this, that's been that's been it for me. Is is just declaring, and speaking, and releasing grace over people. And the funny thing about it is, it carries weight and it carries power. And I don't believe, I don't believe that when we 
release that, then, then they are forgiven. I believe we're simply just coming into agreement through declaration with what Christ has already purposed to do. Yes, And we're never so more in agreement with the heart or the will of God than when we're reflecting His love. I'm releasing his grace. Well, and someone like I, Frank, I, too, I, I think, um, you know, I had mm -hmm. a, a conversation one time recently with an uh, atheist, and he was saying, you know, if all of a sudden humanity was wiped out by a plague and there was just a few left and they didn't have any of the, any religion at all, science would still reemerge and it would still have full truth, but religion would be gone. And I said, that's if there's not a living God. You know, you're yeah. looking at it as if there's, yeah. if religion is just religion, that's true. But if there's a living God, <laughs> He's going to, he's actually going to, you know, reveal yeah. his nature over and over and over. Just like science will re-reveal itself. A living God will re-reveal himself. Do you want to, do you want to just ask him? And he's like, no, I don't because I don't believe in a living God. And I said, well, let's just ask him if he's living and ask him to touch you. And, and if he's not real, you have nothing to lose. You know, if he is real, right. you have everything to lose. So like, let's do it. So I just prayed with him and I go, let's ask God, are you real? You ask him in your heart. And he said, are you real God? And all of a sudden he heard externally, yes. And it freaked him out so bad that he was like, oh, you know, he didn't know what to do. He's like, I just, I don't know if, did you hypnotize me? <laughs> I love. I'm like, you think I'm powerful enough to hypnotize you? I don't know how to hypnotize people. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we ended up having a conversation, asked God a number of questions and some of the, some rooted painful questions. It was funny because he went there like, you know, about, I won't, they're too personal to do on, on the air, but about father stuff and whatever. He asked these questions to God and God answered him. And because of that, he got saved. But it's that, it's that concept of like, you know, you being available to reveal the grace of God that way and to actually change your mind. I love that as a Christian, we, sometimes we have to be the, the, the greatest, the ones who change the greatest versus the people we think we're called to minister to. And something inside of you changed so much in that moment. And I, I just think it's so profound. Yeah, I, I, ended up, I ended up beginning to preach and speak on the grace of God. And, uh, and it was a radical message. It wasn't, a, it wasn't people saying, you know, we, you know, you just give people a license to sin. That's never what it's been about. It's been about God teaching us how to manage our freedom by living, living under surrender and obedience to His voice. And, um, and, and there's, there's tremendous freedom in, and, and, uh, and wholeness in that. But I think it's taking that, that, that posture of, from a position of being seated in, seated in heavenly places and mm -hmm. recognizing that the power of our weight of our words is, is a big deal. Jesus said of his words, my words to your spirit and life. Well, if we're made in his image and likeness, our words are too, if we know what we're speaking, know what we're saying. And so releasing that over people in a tangible way, I ended up writing an entire book about it called Reckless Grace. And, uh, and uh, I just have, just came from a conference and, and people were coming up just left and right saying this, this, this entire concept is so practical. It's setting me free and I'm leading people to Christ. I mean, he told me just yesterday, I'm leading people to Christ that I've been arguing with for years, wow. but I'm leading them through encounter rather than intellect. Yeah. And, um, and I think of I think of a lady that I met in Rochester, Minnesota, who uh, was debilitated with uh, with a scoliosis condition that was the worst that the Mayo Clinic had ever seen. And she one day fell out of her wheelchair and lay overnight for eight hours oh. in this debilitated condition. And she's laying on the floor and she's she's crying out to Jesus, just saying the word Jesus over and over and over again for eight hours. And then he shows up. There's a oh. book uh, written about it called Rush of Heaven. But um, she, Jesus shows up. He reaches down, takes her by the hand, lifts her up. She sees his eyes, and she says, "All I had to do was see those eyes of love, and that just changes everything." Wow! Takes her by the hand, dances with her around the room. She's totally healed. She straightens up totally. All the swords that were on her body, sores that were on her body from her condition, 
totally healed. Her nurse shows up at the door and drops everything. She can't believe that her patient is standing there. So I'm hearing this story and this testimony, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, why eight hours? I mean, I'm getting offended while I'm hearing this story. <laughs> I'm thinking, why eight hours? I'm like, God, did you have something to do? You have something more important to do? I mean, that's your daughter laying there, and she's crying your name out for eight solid hours. And here was the crazy part. And this is why I tell this story. She, had, she hadn't even thought of that. And this was her answer when I said, why eight hours? And she said, I don't know, but when he showed up, it didn't matter. Yeah. And I wow. realized that that's the thing with an encounter with God that transcends intellect. Yeah. Is when the presence and the power and the love, the authentic love of the authentic God of the authentic gospel shows up, he dismantles all of our offense and all of our arguments. And it just all goes away as if it didn't matter. Wow. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I've seen that through a, through a radical declaration of grace, eye to eye to somebody. I've seen I've seen it happen uh, literally hundreds, thousands of times. That's awesome. Well, Bill, we are at the end of our show, and I just want to give people an opportunity to um, just get a hold of you. So what's your website? Then go to BillVanderbush.com, just B-I-L-L-V-A-N-D-E-R-B-U-S-H, just like it sounds. Awesome. What's your, is this your latest book you were just talking about or what's your latest book? Yeah, Rec Reckless Grace is, Reckless is Grace. the latest book. Amazing. And, uh, it's well, incredibly, go ahead. incredibly practical. And it's basically, it's 182 pages of, of, hey, church, let's just pretend like what Jesus said in John 20, 23 was true. What would the ramifications be if the body of Christ believed that the grace that we gave away actually mattered to wow. people? Wow, well, that's definitely uh, a conversation we need on the table of grace when it's been such a disputed subject by people who are afraid of the imbalance of grace. And I love the balance of that message. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for the stories. Love talking to you and bless you and your family. Thank you, Sean. It's been an honor to be with you and I bless your ministry and everything that you guys do. It's it's a, it's a treasure to the body of Christ and you've blessed our house and our congregation from the West Coast to the East Coast, and we consider you family. Oh, vice versa. Bless you, man. Have you been enjoying Exploring the Prophetic? Well, you can enjoy it even more by becoming a partner with Bulls Ministries. Everything we're doing with our podcast is made possible by our incredible partners and financial contributors to our ministry. They are helping us to bring the equipment, to upgrade everything we're doing, to have the time and space to do this. It's a free offering we give to you. Maybe you're listening in your shower. Maybe you're listening in your car, your workout. Well, I want to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to have these incredible guests tell their prophetic process of how God's spoken to them so you can get a vision of how God speaks to you and also so that other people all around the world can have this resource at their fingertips from their smart device, their computer, their YouTube, whatever they have, that they will have this, this incredible resource. So go on the partnership journey with us. As a partner, you're going to receive an email and communication every month from us. We resource you with a partnership page that has literally dozens and dozens of messages that only of our partners have. We also have partnership contribution back to you where we actually give resources. You guys get stuff first. Usually at Christmas time, we have a new book come out. You guys get it before everybody else and you get it signed. I love our partnership program. I love being on the journey with our partners because they are some of our, their team, they're our family. They're the ones who are contributing to make this happen. Come be a partner today. Go to bowlsministries.com under giving and membership and you will become a partner. 